This is Dad Pod. I'm Osher Ginsberg. That is a gorgeous, long-haired, northern rivers of New South <laughs> Wales, festival-going, linen-wearing Charlie Clawson. <laughs> uh, we started this podcast uh, when we were about to become, you know, fathers to children for the first time. I already had a stepdaughter, but babies were on the way. We're like, there's nothing out there for dads like us, and so we made something. The shows go all the way back to before the kids arrived, and every episode's got something that you can take away, something that's a new insight. We learn something every episode, and we're grateful you could be here. Today on this show, we're, we're taking your questions. I would love to hear uh, from you. You can always find us, askdadpod uh, at gmail.com. We also asked a lot of questions on Instagram. Dadpodgram is where these all came from. And so we did put the question out to the listeners, like what are some questions uh, you have about parenthood, either if you're expecting or if you're thinking about having kids, like what are some what are some wisdom that we can impart? Do you have a letter there, Osh? Rose wants to know, and you've been through this, how do you deal with being sick? When you are sick and your kids are sick. Ooh. Uh, well, Gemma and I had a very <laughs> – well, we had a, an instant where we both had – Iona gave us gastro. So she had gastro earlier in the week and then about four days later it hit us at the same time. And uh, we were both like, you know, flat on our backs in bed just vomiting every like 20 minutes. And if it wasn't for having a friend staying with us, I have no idea – what we would have done because someone had to tend to Iona in those moments. The only thing I'd say other than that is that every other time I've been sick with Iona, you just somehow find another gear. I think it's just something in the evolutionary biology of it all is that you somehow can put aside your own queasiness, your own headache, your own fever and tend to your child because there has been a couple of instances in which I have been unwell and on my own with Iona and something happens, you just find that next gear where it's like, okay, well, I can suppress this until the child is asleep or at least okay and then deal with your own illness. It's so fascinating that you had this your whole life and let's be honest, the things that you you know, were going to be attending to weren't as important. They were <laughs> work or they were social engagements or, or whatever. But when it's if I don't get up and get this kid out of this poopy nappy and put some food in this child, it's going to be way. You just, Charlie's absolutely right. You just do it. You mm. find a way to get it done. And it's wild. Um, but until that happens, by all means, take a sickie, take a day off. My mum used to uh, say, because, uh, you know, obviously tending to all these like nine kids she had. And I remember like when there was multiple kids sick, you know, we all had like the, a cold or, or, or gastro or whatever. And mum would be moving from bedroom to bedroom, changing pans and, you know, putting wet cloths on people's foreheads and stuff. And I used to ask her, how can you do this and not get sick? And mum was just always like, because mums don't get sick. And I never quite understood what that meant until now, which is like, she probably was ill, but she doesn't have a choice. You know, that's mm. just what happens. Mums don't get sick. And in this instance, dads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have a question there? Uh, yes, I do. This is from... Uh, what's he 89? What do you guys do to help your ego, even when you're in top dad form and your baby just wants mum? Osh? Oh, man. This absolutely happens. And it is hard because I, and I'm going to sound like a song or a Mills and Boone novel or a Christmas card or, or something. Same. I have never known a love and devotion 
like I have known to my kids, all right? I have never in ever thought of myself in a different status that would mean that if it meant I would die, these two would be fine. And to have that love not reciprocated is, oh my gosh, it's a twisty spear through the heart. You know, when, when you, when you, all you want to do is cuddle this toddler and, 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 and he's like, and he did it this morning. He did it at three o'clock this morning. I went to go grab mom, 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 mom's asleep. I'll put you back. Mom, 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 I'll put you back to mom's. And like, you went for like 10 minutes. The next thing I know, then Audrey comes in and I'm like, oh, fuck now you've woken up. Mm. Okay. You feel <laughs> it's it, hard. It's so hard. And like, I had the exact same thing happen last night as well, which was, you know, I was meant to be doing bedtime, but I was rejected. I was like totally fine to kind of push through that because I knew I'd win her over eventually. But Jem was just like, look, it's going to be less hassle. I'll just do it. And this was like her fourth night in a row of putting it down. And so I felt guilty as well because it's like, well, you know, I mean, I want to I want to share this. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's maybe something that you don't ever get over, but- mm. It's just, it's also that rush of blood thing too, isn't it? It's like any situation in which your ego is challenged. You know, that as my therapist used to say to me, Osh, there's a difference between reacting and responding. You know, <laughs> like reaction tends to be that kind of instinctive first up kind of, I don't like that. And, and, and your ego, that's when your ego grabs the megaphone. But then mm. responding is how you choose to, to move forward and how you deal with it as someone who... If you can remove the emotional sting from it, you can rationalize. Of course, it's a child. Yeah. They have an undeveloped sense of emotional intelligence and awareness. You know, they are not rejecting you necessarily. There are a million chemical reactions going off in their brain. They are closer to their mother because they spent nine months in the womb. So there's all that kind of stuff. For me, the challenge or, or what I work on is lessening the time that I go from reaction to responding. Because at the moment, like, mm. It's still very much reaction and sometimes I want to bite back. And, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that there's been times when it is just Iona and I and she'll yell at me, I want mum. And I'll be like, yeah, I want her too. You know, I, I want her too. I, I, I would like this to be easier as well. And then I feel so shameful and embarrassed that I couldn't just like be the bigger man. But I'm trying to get better, you know, and I'm trying yeah. to lessen that 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 gap between reaction and respond, which is like I get it, I'm I'm reacting because yeah. It, but now here is my response, <laughs> and it's interesting because is- here we both are. Here we both are in a cold state. All right, we're in yeah. a cold state where we're talking about it, and right now I can absolutely like whatever you need, mate. If you need mum to settle you down so you feel safe and well because you sleeping and you being healthy is more important than anything, let it happen. Because if it's if I'm upset, then I'm making it about me. Yeah. And you're right, Charlie. In this cold state, speaking with you, I can absolutely see that and go, yeah, of course. Why would I ever do anything but? But you're right, Charlie. In that moment, when you're tired, <laughs> when you're cranky, when you haven't, when nothing's gotten done, and all he wants is, you know, not you. Yeah. It's hard to get in front of that instant reaction, but I've I have found breathing to be really, really, really helpful. I do a lot of polyvagal breathing. It's four in and then eight out. So I count one, two, three, four, and then I count five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 out. And I have found that to be an extraordinary little spacer, mm. you know, between what he's saying and then it gives me plenty of time to go, okay, mate, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and then there's the other mantra you can use, which is what would Bandit do? 
Yes. <laughs> because as we all know, Bandit Healer is the goal for all fathers. Dad of dads. The dad of dads. He's the dad of dads. And Bandit doesn't always get it right, but he always puts his kids first at some point. In fact, Gemma is convinced that I am taking all my lessons on fatherhood from Bandit. <laughs> like, Oh, absolutely. I absolutely am. She Without saw a me, doubt. She saw me. We, had a, we were catching up with a friend who was a three-year-old the other day, and she saw me playing with both of them. And the friend was like, oh, God, Charlie is really good at playing with kids. And Gem's like, yeah, he's he's being Bandit. <laughs> like he's he's learned how to be playful, playful in a parental way from Bandit Healer. And it's yeah. true. Like the great thing about that show is the way that they depict fatherhood as being – it is a version of that kind of, I'm an idiot dad that we have got from advertising, but there is actual substance behind it. Whereas Bandit can be the silly dad, can be the fun dad, can be the dad who gets things wrong. But grounding all of that is a genuine love and a willingness to learn. And like, he doesn't get it right. And when he upsets his kids or, you know, you've seen the episode where he's being too rough with Bingo. So and, good. You know, Bingo has to come and tell him that I like you playing with me, but when you play with me, you're too rough. And he has to uh, change his behavior. And for me, that's kind of, you know, where I end up is like, oh, look, I'm going to get this shit wrong all the time, but there is mm. a genuine desire to do better. And so I guess my advice to you would be like, watch a lot of Bluey because <laughs> he's Charlie's not wrong because that's why they started the show. Uh, Joe started the show because he didn't see the kind of parenting that he wanted to see on television, on television. Chris has written, and, and this is actually a really good question. It's something that I worried about quite a bit. Roughly mm. how much money should I save up to be a comfortable family man? Oh, geez. Chris... It's like, how much money do you want in your super, you know? Do you want to be living in a caravan park or do you want to be, you know, living on a canal somewhere? But, and let's be honest, by the time we retire, those two will be the same thing. Chris, you find a way. With whatever money you've got, you find a way. I'd say don't, don't worry about it too much. You're going to be okay. This whole idea of we had to pick up a new baby monitor the other day and you can buy a, there's like an infrared sock you can put on your child and put them on a, on a mat which reads their heartbeat and, and you know, movement patterns and it's like 1,200 bucks. Mm. You don't fucking need that. You yeah. don't need that at all, you know. <laughs> the baby's going to be sleeping in the same room as you for the first year. You'll be fine. I think we, we all get obsessed with that. My kid's got to have this, my kid's got to have that. And, you know, obviously there are certain things which, you need you need shelter, you need food, yeah. and you need education. Yeah. So obviously those yeah. things are important. But I agree with Osh. I think that the most important thing that I have noticed beyond anything that we've been able to provide for her materially has been time and attention. And yes. in a lot of ways, COVID has been really good for that in a weird way because it's meant mum and dad have both been home a lot more. So Iona, unlike a lot of kids, has spent the first two years of her life having pretty much full access to both parents, you know, and I think that that has been exceptional for her development. And I sort of have seen this from as a kid who went through, you know, my family sort of having money and then having no money. I sort of saw both sides of it. You know, when my dad was alive, we obviously had an income and, and and we're doing all right. And then after dad died, you know, we were living off whatever um, life insurance had been left behind and, you know, whatever savings mum had. And so we didn't have a lot of money. And I don't think there was a great level of difference, you know, because mm. it was all about the amount of attention I was given. And my mum was an incredibly caring, attentive mother, you know, and I think that whatever value I got out of my childhood, I don't remember the clothes I was wearing. I don't really remember the toys that I had or, you know, I definitely didn't go on ski trips on holidays. We didn't go to Noosa like other kids from Victoria did, you know. It was very modest 
holidays and, and modest um, possessions at home. But the value I got was definitely from the attention that mum gave me. So I think if that is a concern for you, that's how I would prioritize the tree, you know, like health, shelter, education, and then attention. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you've got money for a roof over your head, you can keep the kid warm, some baby Panadol, food, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, some money for a little bit of money for, I don't know, some extra medicine or something. Yeah. The biggest thing you can do, Chris, is to find space in your life to spend with the kid because they literally will be bigger tomorrow and they will never do what they're doing today ever again. Yeah. And they'll figure something out for the first time every day. And your greatest chance to influence their outcomes as far as who they are and what they think about the world happens in the first five years. So rather than money to save up, perhaps think about how can you plan the next three to five years of your life to be sure that you can be there as much as possible? Because this really, really is. My mum used to always say, kids are a blank tape until the age of five and the rest of their life, that tape just plays over and over again. That's when the source code is written and they operate from that from then on. Unless they spend tens of thousands of dollars like I have on uh, psychotherapists and things like this. <laughs> and um, they try really hard to rewire that programming and rewrite it. It's not working every time. We're going to get to more of your questions in, in just a second. You can always email us, askdadpod at gmail.com. Also, dadpongram back in a moment. And we're back. Uh, this is Dad Pod. I'm Charlie. That's Osha. We're taking your G'day. questions. Uh, this is from Logan, uh, who says, "Hey, the newborn stage sucks for dads. So, how do I make my partner feel more included or needed?" Um, how did I feel included? Getting the dad to think about how he can be more included—it's probably the first thing you can do mm. because otherwise, it's just more mental load on mum. Mum's already really, really strapped for capacity as far as decision making goes and choices. There is a shit ton that the non-birth or the non-caring, um, the non-child raising partner can do. There's housework to be done. There's shopping oh, yeah. to be done. Yeah. There's things to be organized. That's how I think you keep the father included. Sure, they're not going to be there like breastfeeding. They're not going to be there, um, but they can do like the dream feeds. There's lots of things I can mm. do, but I, how I felt included was, okay, look, the ship is sailing in this direction. Someone needs to take care of the ship, make sure it's staying on course, make sure that it's well stocked so that, you know, mum can get her sleep in when possible, do her feed. So that to me was how I was included, was like there was a bunch of stuff outside of the genuine like newborn child raising that needed to be looked after. We had a dog at the time. The dog needed to be walked and fed, yeah. lots of stuff. And then, you know, you can sort of chime in to do a feed here and there, give mum a chop out, she needs a nap. And that's a good stuff too. Like that was, you know. Hang on, when- chop out like early 2000s chop out or chop out like? <laughs> a chop out, more uh, lend a helping hand. <laughs> oh, more okay. Kind of a chop I was going to say, because breastfeeding, there's some things you're not supposed to do. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I did. Yeah. That, that I mean, was- it will help with the sleeplessness, but, you know. That kind of stuff where you can take the baby for an hour and I love oh, that, yeah. like, you know, when you are doing that bonding, you're doing the skin to skin, you know, I'd take a newborn Iona, sit on the couch, she'd be on my chest, she's, you know, just snoozing. You're you're just bonding with the baby while mom is getting some much needed sleep. So I think that's how you can be included in the process. And yeah. then as they get a little bit older and out of newborn, maybe in sort of the first six months, there's the fun stuff. Like you get the baby Bjorn, you know, and you yeah. get to strip the baby to the front and go for a coffee or take the dog for a walk. Like I think there's yeah. lots of things you can do. I, 
I, I sort of understand when dad's like, oh, you know, you know, I'm just sort of useless. It's, well, you're not useless. You are in the pit crew. You are support yeah. staff. Like you're there to make sure that, you know, the Formula One car gets back onto the track and can keep going at a high speed. So there's yeah. lots of stuff you can do. It's not specifically maybe related to the feeding and the sleeping of that child necessarily, but there is lots of stuff you can do outside of that to ensure that that goes smoothly. It truly is, like the song says, it is never-ending laundry. So <laughs> yeah. learn oh, now. Laundry. Learn yeah. now how to wash all the the nice things that your partner has that you would – no, I am the guy who's like, this is dirty. It's all going in. I don't give a fuck what color it is. I push this yeah. button. I take it out. I hang it up. Oh, God, I wear my T-shirt's pink. <laughs> yeah. I don't, never cared. Uh, no, learn, learn how to wash wits, bits and pieces, learn how to at least take all those things out, learn which bits don't go in the wash and then just, and just don't wait to be asked, just fucking do it. Stay on top of it because it never, ever, ever ends, ever. Same with groceries, be on top of it, put a reminder in your phone, like as Charlie's saying, just keep the ship stocked. All those things. If you can take that mental load away from the the person in the in the relationship who's waking up every two hours, who's who's managing no sleep, whose entire life that they used to know is now gone, mm. that is a huge, huge, huge thing and a massive help. And just try and limit complaints about lack of sleep. <laughs> because trust me, if you're getting lack of sleep, they're getting less than you. So just try and minimize those kind of complaints. Limit. <laughs> I never even got like if you were in the room, like I've I've got a fucked hip and I've had had a nine centimeter long needle in my femur yesterday, oh, Charlie. Jesus. And under ultrasound, but sure. I mean, I was there with an ultrasound probe being shoved into an extraordinarily painful part of my body with a nine centimeter long needle trying to drain some fluid out of me. And yet I have seen my wife get possibly the most invasive ultrasound of all time. So I said nothing. <laughs> never. So it's all relative, right? Never say anything ever again. So we're just speaking about this. Somebody wants to know, please tell everyone the truth about sleep. This is a question I guess oh, uh, people wanted to know the before, truth. Um, all right. before Let's, let's before all get kids. all info walls on this. Here's the truth. Here's the truth about sleep. I never believed it until it was me on three hours a night. Oh, yeah. Now, I can definitely relate to this because I've done a, not – a ton, but over the course of my career, I've been in broadcasting since 94. Over the course of my career, I think I've done all up. I've probably done about three to four years of breakfast radio, which is pretty brutal. So anytime your alarm has a three in it, and then there's meetings and things that go to like one or two in the afternoon, and then you've got to have some kind of life, but then you've got to be in bed by seven. Sleep is hard and you often end up sleeping in shifts. And I did overnight shifts as well. I did mid-dawns between midnight and six. So I thought, I'll be, I'll be fine for this. During my breakfast radio years, I found that if I started counting how much sleep I had, or I had a phone once that told me when I set my alarm, it would say, okay, see you in two hours and 57 minutes. I'd go, fucking hell, you know, and that would destroy me through the day. And I've since found, since wolves come into our lives, if I don't think about how much sleep I haven't had, I'm actually usually okay. And before my hips got fucked, I used to run a lot of marathons, right? And there's this interesting thing that happens in marathon running around about the 30K mark or 18 miles. It's called the wall. Mm. And that's generally around where your available carbohydrate, your available glycogen vanishes. And you, if you haven't been eating properly and refueling, you run out of available energy and your muscles stop working. There's a thing that happens uh, in marathon running as the, the finish line starts in, uh, to get into view, like you go, oh, 10Ks from here. I, I, I can run 10Ks. I ran 10Ks last week. 
you start finding this extra thing that you didn't know was there. There's an like a booster tank. There's like an entire booster rocket that you've had your whole life and you suddenly go, oh, right. And it's the same with when, you know, I'm alone with Wolf and I've had no sleep and it's all trying to happen and I've had like seriously less than three hours and that even then, uh, not in con- a continuous movement, I somehow just do it and you just, just kind of get there. Yeah. And it's really interesting because my whole life has been like in craving of sleep and yet here I am being like, Mm, it's probably not the best. You don't want to do it for a week at a time, but it's okay. Yeah. You figure it out. I think that is the should be the catchphrase for parenting in general is you just do it <laughs> because you're so right. Like you can be dead to the world, fast asleep, middle of the night. You hear a noise come from your child's bedroom. You're up, you're in there. You're, you're, you're instantly awake, hypervigilant yeah. straight away. And I think that that is something that it's you can't really anticipate until you become a parent. And then when it happens, it is so kind of inbuilt and intuitive. You don't even have to think about it. It's actually a gift, really, just to know that you have that level of responsiveness and care and vigilance hardwired into you. I mean, I wish I had that kind of a response for other people in my life, <laughs> but uh, it turns out it took some kind of biochemical uh, reaction uh, and some sharing of DNA to prompt that level of loyalty. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Maybe that's the, the the greatest trick I think that humans do is the pheromonal exchange that happens between newborns and parents in the first few hours of life because the th- changes that it makes in your brain are just absolutely amazing, amazing. It's funny you should mention that. Uh, that leads into this next question. This is from Katie. It's an interesting one. She says, my asshole brother has left me only wanting to have a daughter so how do I deal with a 50-50 chance that I may get a boy? Uh, I think Osh has just answered that question. You may think that, you know, whatever horrible experience you had with this this man or this uh, male figure in your life has left you not wanting a boy. But once that chemical reaction begins and you do have a boy, I know for Gemma and I, like she was she was desperate for a daughter. She, not that she would have, you know, hated having a boy, but she – specifically wanted a daughter and for me it was much more of a kind of oh I don't know like I don't know how I feel about either of these kind of things and I I had a feeling that maybe you were going to have a girl but then I started fantasizing about oh what if we have a little boy and you know what if I can take him to the football and all these kind of like traditional male uh, stereotypes but the fact of the matter is she could have given birth to an octopus or a camel or whatever it was and I think I would have loved it in exactly the same way. So whatever trauma or horrible experience you had with your brother, I'm really sorry for that. But trust me, if you get pregnant and it turns out to be a boy, then that's not going to matter. And just like we've talked in previous episodes of Dad Pod where you almost presented with a clean slate or a chance to undo or redo or create a new relationship that's positive with a male, then that's your chance with this child. But I don't even think it'll get to that point. I think it'll be so unconscious that you will have this bond with this child no matter what their gender and it will be beautiful. Yeah, never forget, never forget that no child on this earth has the same set of parents and that includes siblings, okay, because all the things that your parents maybe learned or figured out what they got right or got wrong with your brother, they probably did differently for you. And you're not your parents, you're not your brother, your partner's not your parents, and your kid is not him. 
And the choices you make in the environment that you you know give to your child is, is what is going to shape the outcome of what's going on there. And it's going to be amazing no matter what. And You'll be fine. I reckon we've got time for one more, Charlie, okay. and it's going to be a big. It's going to be a big one. Ah, right, good. Beck has written to us, Dad Podgram. Beck has yet to have kids or have any kids in in Beck's life. Is it all worth it? Nah. <laughs> 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 and that's the end. Of the last episode of Dad Pod. <laughs> uh, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Uh, yes. And Gemma and I were having this discussion only a few days ago where we were, I mean, late to parenting and we've been together almost 20 years. And for the majority of our relationship, kids were a, a vague concept. And if we had them, then that is going to be great. If we didn't have kids and that would also be fine. It was never anything we were really driven to do. But having had a kid and being a parent, I just find it the most, and this is a cliche, but I find it the most rewarding, enriching experience. Incredibly challenging, incredibly frustrating. You know, my ego is checked constantly with this, but there is just something, I don't know, profound about having this thing in your life that it's like this supercomputer that changes and learns and every day it's a new thing. And I feel like it's giving me a new lease on life. Like I actually feel like entering this stage of, of, of fatherhood has has given me a, a greater awareness of of not just you know myself but the world around me because you become aware of the the world that your child's experiencing and and you become more invested in that as well. So I I, I don't really know how to explain it in any other way but the cliches because. Unless you are in it, unless you are doing it, it's hard to explain. It's hard to con- – there's no experience that you can go through which compares to it. In a similar way, I was having this conversation. Uh, we went to a dinner party, of all things. What you do after COVID, we actually went and we sat wow. in a room with like, you know, 15 other people and we breathed on each other and <laughs> ate food and hugged. And there's mates of ours who are probably about a month away. They're also late to parenting. They're, you know, uh, I think he's just turned 40. And we're having this conversation – and I remember just saying to them both, you know, I, I didn't believe it when it was told to me, but who I get to become as a person because of the fact that I'm a stepdad and now because, I'm, you know, now we've got Wolfie as well, the person who I got to become is just amazing compared mm-hmm. to who I used to be. The humility that I now, you know, I still struggle against it, don't get me wrong, but the humility that I have in the face of the importance of these kids, the focus that I have around my work, who I am to others, how I have learned to be, how, how driven I've become. And I was driven before this, Charlie, but since George has shown up, how, how driven I am in a way. That the, and the, the, the woman who was speaking with, the one who's about to have a kid, he goes, this sounds like the sort of thing that people don't talk about in front of childless couples. And I said... It's not that you can't get to all those places mm. without kids. You absolutely can. Definitely. But it's a real shortcut because within, from one day to the next, it's no longer about you. You absolutely are committed and 100% you have to, you like, okay, 18 years, let's go. And everything else stops mattering. And you become in this kind of hyper-focused tunnel vision thing. And the reward you get is who you get to become because of that is this version of you that 
well, me at least, this version that I want of, of a person that I kind of always wanted to be, but I couldn't achieve. I couldn't mm. get to here as far as I'm not winning the battle by all means, but I have I am in a, a fight for dominance over my ego that I never thought I would have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like in the fifth of 12 rounds and the points are looking in my favour at this point, you know. <laughs> it's enforced selflessness, which yeah, I think that's is- it which I think is kind of, for me, it was the only way it was going to happen. You know, I, I think yeah. prior to this, I, I, I didn't really have, there was no motivation. There was no, there was no reason for me not to put myself first, but now that's the only reason. And it's healthy. Like I do think you, you actually sort of start to realize, you know, the power of community and the power of tribe and this idea that it takes a village to raise a child because, in your ego, you're like, well, you know, as long as my partner and I, or if you're a solo parent, as long as I'm perfect and, you know, but it's much bigger than that. And you start to realize I can't yeah. do this on my own. And you need to reach yeah. out to family. You need to reach out to friends. You need to reach out to teachers. And, but this is all good things. Like, I don't say this as a kind of like, oh God, like you need to retreat to these things. This is good. And this is stuff that I think that maybe I definitely, you know, I spent a lot of my life online and, and you have a, there, it's easy now, easier now than than ever to sort of disappear into that world and not to engage and stuff. It's easier than ever. But when you have a kid, you can't do that. You know, you actually have to go out and you have to engage because you've got to start thinking about schooling. You've got to start thinking about yeah. all these kind of things. Suddenly you have to make friends with parents of other kids that you would ordinarily not. And I remember being like, oh, there's no way I'm going to become friends with like, unless they're friends of mine, there's no way, but it just happens. And that's a good thing yeah. because it sort of yeah. forces you to get out of your comfort zone. And so yeah. there's all these things to look forward to. And and I imagine that it, it will only get more complex and, and more layered as, as she gets older. Yeah. But I've got to admit, like, this has been the best, you know, two and a half years. And I can't even, it's hard to imagine a life before she was around now. Like I remember it and I know what that was, but it also feels like a bit of a museum piece as well, because it's yeah. like, oh God, the people we are now and the way we interact and the love that's in the house now is, is it feels so right. And, and, and it's almost yeah. like she was there all along. We just brought her into the world. Uh, no, should I really, I need to really uh, underline that you can achieve all these things without kids. hundred percent. You can absolutely be all these things and you However, when you have a, a, a small person in your life or a child in your life, it's like a cheat code. You know, you're like suddenly in, you're like you're instantly transported to this place where it's forced upon you. But you can achieve all these things without kids. And uh, if, you know, kids don't come for you and, you know, Audrey and I, we struggled to conceive for a long time and we were looking at, at kids not, you know, showing up. These things are available to you and you can get them. You don't need kids to have these things happen, but it really is like, oh, crikey, I'm on a water slide. Here I go. I guess yeah. I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is, if you don't have kids, guess what? You get to go on water slides for real whenever you want. And that's fucking awesome. Wait. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Let's go to Wet n Wild. Um, we got to get out of here. It's been great having this Q&A episode. We'll be back next week with a special guest. If you ever want to get in touch with us, askdadpod at gmail.com. Please support the show by telling your mates, tell a dad, tell a mum, tell a sister, tell a brother, tell an uncle, tell a granddad. Pass this episode on to somebody that you know may be worried about having kids or doesn't have kids or wants kids in their life. You can also find us dadpodgram on the Instagram. And that's about it. Thanks that's very it. much to Andy Ma for cutting up this episode. Until next time. Don't touch that. <laughs>